And as we continue our study in in uh, in First Timothy, I turned it on. Yeah, I turned it on. Yeah, we need we need a kid in here. To, speaking of kids, don't forget to pray for uh, the Boston team, uh, the uh, four four high schoolers. I, at least I thought I turned it on right. But, yeah, usually when it works. The four high schoolers and the uh, high school leaders, Jeff and, and Kylie. As they uh, as they lead the kids, they were out doing stuff, ministering to the Toady kids in particular. So please, please uh, be in you know in prayer for them. They come back uh, tomorrow. So appreciate your prayers for them. Let's go ahead and turn to First uh, Timothy chapter two. First Timothy uh, chapter two, and we're gonna be we're gonna pick up in verse eight uh, our study, and we're starting to get into some. Uh, some tangible meat uh, in the book of First Timothy, where there's some rubber meets the road kind of things. Uh, there's there's been aspects of the, the First Timothy that have been I don't want to call them ethereal, but they're big picture, right? They're situations where we talk about our relationship with the Lord. Uh, we talk about the state that we have with the Lord, or or what He has done. But this is going to start getting kind of like reading your mail. This is going to start stepping on your toes, and it's going to start, as they say, getting in your grill or getting in your business. So this this is where people have trouble deciding they're going to continue following this path to spiritual maturity, this continued progression, because now I have to change. It's great when you, uh, when you look at it. Thanks, brother. It's great when you look at it and you think, well, yeah, Jesus saved me, and, and he is uh, all in all, and he's done those things. But now when there's an expectation that I have to do something to conform myself to the image of Christ, that I have to do something that might change, well, well now, now it gets a little harder. Right, and so um, I'm, I am I am genuinely excited about this passage, though. In Second Timothy or First Timothy chapter two, starting verse eight, I will therefore Paul wills he wants therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. And so um, I had an opportunity, I think I've shared shared this with you early on in the study of 1 Timothy, that I taught an overview of 1 Timothy and LFBI and uh, had a couple of ladies actually come up because uh, we, we, we kind of camp on these concepts. There's, there's more coming that some of these things that historically have been used to kind of hold women down in ministry or, quote, put them in their place in church. And I'm going to present a very, I think, different uh, position on that. I think it's one that's biblical. I think it's one that you will see is right and really aligns with the empowerment that, that, that Scripture, that the New Testament believer gave women uh, even back then. And I, I will submit to you that, that the world has postured this the, back way, the backward way and blamed it on Christianity. And the world is very good at doing that. I don't know if you've perceived that, but the world is very good at relegating a concept that is wrong and then blaming someone else, specifically God, specifically Christians, for that. And uh, I'm, I'm excited because I believe today's message will actually be freeing for you women. And, and you've probably already noticed on your on your uh, page that we you know we kind of have to divide this in two things there's there's some stuff for men there's some stuff for women but ultimately there's I, I believe the men can went, learn from the the aspects that are directed at the women and the women can learn from the aspects directed at men and um, so we're gonna we're gonna jump in uh, to to this first I, I must not be holding my tongue right or something because I click the button and it doesn't move Oh, oh, did it? Okay, finally moved. Okay, so I need to be patient. I need to be more patient. So, so there is something for everyone. For men, now, now, see here. So this is this is biblical, right? God uses a lot of words for the women. All right, and that's not because they're messed up. 
but he has to keep it real simple for the guys. <laughs> guys, just do this. If you do this, you're going to be all right. All right. Women, I can give a little more color. I can explain it. We can get. We can spend some time. So this is. Not, we're not going to. We're going to spend more time on the women folk today because there's more words here, and I think the picture is actually better as the bride of Christ. But for men, it's pretty straightforward. Um, and much like Jesus cuts to the chase, time after time when people follow him or want to follow him, he'll cut right to the chase. Oh, you need to go bury your father first? And by the way, the father hadn't died yet. He wants to wait until the father's dead and then bury him. He wants to still live with the relationships he's got rather than giving up everything for Christ. Or, oh, oh, you're rich? Well, go sell it and all your, uh, all your goods then you can follow me. Well, and then they're, they're disheartened because they haven't yet made the decision to put Christ preeminent in their relationship, in their life. And so this is kind of the same way. Jesus, uh, through Paul, is cutting to the chase in, in, in this. Paul, uh, the, the, the tendency is to do the second thing. Uh, whether it's for men, it's to be ra- wrath and, and doubting. For women, it's to it's to, to find value in the way that, that we look, the way that we dress, right? The way we give our outward appearance. But literally, Paul is addressing this to, to Timothy in, in this first letter. And much like in Ephesians 5, he tells the man, or where he tells the man you need to love, and he tells the woman you need to submit, the tendency is for us not to do these. The tendency is for us to do the things below the verse, the verses. The tendency is not for us to do the thing that God calls us to do. Our natural state is to fall back into our flesh. Our natural state is to tend to, to, to stray from God. And so that's literally why Paul is addressing it with Timothy to say, you're going to have to remind people, you're going to have to teach on these things because the natural state is not to be more like God. The natural state of the, of the believer, even though we have the Holy Spirit in us as, as saved believers, the flesh is constantly, the world is constantly pulling us backward. So let's spend some time on the guys here. For the guys. So men, I'm going to press the button and see what happens here. I press, do I need to hold it longer? When you were over that way farther is when it worked last Do time. I need to point it maybe? Oh, there we go. Maybe it's a pointing thing. Well, this is a different model. So. There we go. Hey, but we're getting there. We're learning. All right, so praying is greater than doubting. And so it's not that praying leads to doubting. That's not an arrow. That's a greater than. Remember when you were in like third grade and they taught you greater than and less than and it looks like a little alligator because it's eating the thing that's bigger? I don't know. That's how I always remember it. Um, praying is greater than doubting. Okay? Seems like a simple concept. Look at Matthew 21, 21. Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. So literally, praying to God is greater than the doubt that we might have relative to to things in in the parallel passage in mark 11 there's a little bit a little bit different wording here for verily i say unto you that whatsoever or whosoever shall say unto this mountain be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart but shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass so there's additional color right so in this context it's saying that god has already commanded it and now you are aligning with it. And because of that, he shall have whatsoever uh, he saith. Therefore, I say unto you, what's, uh, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, and they're in alignment with what God has commanded, believe that ye receive them and ye shall have them. I don't get the right to say, Lord, please let the winning lottery ticket blow into my car. Okay. Now, that's the way a Christian wins the lottery, by the way. You don't have to buy a lot. People are like, well, you have to buy a lottery ticket to win. And my God's big enough. I don't even have to spend the money. 
He literally can blow the ticket into my car. But I can't pray that, even though that's a pretty big mountain. It's a mountain of money. I can't pray that because it's not necessarily in alignment with his will, right? So praying is greater than doubting. Look at James chapter 1 and verse 6, 6 through 8. But let him ask in faith. Ask, right? When, I, when I'm praying, when I'm, a, I'm charging the mountain to move, I'm actually asking God to do that work. All of this is context of praying. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, don't doubt. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. And what's interesting about a wave is it goes away. You can follow the wave, but the energy that lifted up the water here and now has moved on, the water goes back to its kind of normal state. The wave has disappeared. So don't, don't waver. Don't live in this doubt, short-term doubt. Have faith, faith in the eternal. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord, right? That the, the man that doubts, because look at this, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So doubting is not as strong as praying. Yet in our lives, we do it all the time. We doubt, we allow the doubt to win. We allow the doubt to win. And I actually considered kind of pictorially, uh, some of you can tell I'm kind of more of a picture, an image guy. But, but you know, I looked at like a teeter-totter concept and a couple different things to try to pictorially represent why praying is greater than doubting. But the reality is the minute that I allow doubt to seep in, doubt becomes bigger than praying. And that's the problem. And that is why Paul is addressing it. He's specifically saying, don't let doubt in. Pray, and that will overcome doubt. Okay? Pray, and that will overcome doubt. If you need a chair, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, just grab one up here. So when we look at this parallel in 1 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 8, it says, I will, therefore, that men... Pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And I'm going to try to go back to our verse here. So there is, and I've talked about this a few times, there's this concept of parallelism. The Jewish mind is a little bit different than ours. It's not always linear. So men pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So the lifting up holy hands balances with wrath and the praying balances with doubting. So they're on cap ends, okay? So pray and doubting, wrath, holy hands are in the middle, okay? So that's the parallelism that happens here. So the, the counter to praying, or the, the counter to doubting actually is praying or vice versa. The counter to praying is doubting, right? So now... As we, so we've talked about, and I've got to learn where to target this. I'm going to point it at Jamie's head, see, see if it, so, oh wow, it's like jumpy. <laughs> okay, we'll get there. Patience, grasshopper, and I mean me. <laughs> Lifted holy hands are greater than wrathful hands. Do you know what wrath is that is not executed? It's a bad attitude. <laughs> it's internal. Wrath actually is when the anger, the judgment comes out and is executed upon. Okay, That's the point at which wrath becomes real is when it... it so I hit my hand with the hammer, hit my thumb with the hammer. There's the moment before the pain hits. When the pain hits, that's the point at which the wrath can build up and then I react, okay? I hope that's making sense. Wrath is not just the internal, it's the internal buildup of judgment, of righteousness, whatever. If God's executing wrath, it's a little different than man's wrath. But it's the point at which it executes, okay? So the balance, the other, other side to lifting holy hands is wrathful hands. Okay? 
Tom, could you go score me a, some water? Just one of those little things. It does not have to be cold. For whatever reason, I need a drink. <clears throat> Thanks. So, holy hands are greater than wrathful hands. Okay? Wrathful hands. And so look at some of the scriptural uh, support for this. Not for, in Job chapter 16, verse 17, not for any injustice in my hands. Also, my prayer is, look at this, pure. My prayer is pure. So when, when you have injustice in your hands, your prayer cannot be pure. This is dealt with in our discipleship lesson. For those of you who have gone through discipleship or maybe going through discipleship, and we talk about prayer, things that might hinder your ability to pray properly to God can be things that you're harboring in your heart, harboring in your, in your mind, harboring in your hands. Isaiah uh, chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, Yea, when ye make uh, when ye make many prayers, which is spreading forth your hands, I will not hear. Do you see the parallelism there? So when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes. Yea, when you make my prayers, which is spreading forth your hands, I will not hear. Right? Parallelism. Okay. Your hands are full of blood. Now this isn't necessarily applying to everyone. This is a, a specific situation that he's dealing with. But God will not hear. The prayer, you can't lift up your holy hands if you have wrathful hands, if they're full of blood. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil doings from, your, from before your eyes, cease to do evil. And the implication there is, when you do that, what will happen? He will see you. He won't hide your eyes. He will, in fact, hear you. Okay? So there are things... In our lives, thank you, bud. There are things in our lives, guys, in particular. Again, it applies to ladies as well. But there are things, guys, that cause us to have wrath in our hands rather than being able to lift up holy hands in prayer. Notice, this is all about prayer. This is not about praise. Lifting up hands to praise is a different discussion, not one that the text is dealing with today, so we'll save it for another point in time. But He literally says, I would rather have you pray than to doubt, right? But I need you to have holy hands rather than wrathful hands. And again, I know I kind of made light of it. I know I kind of joked about God kind of cuts to Paul and using, you know, God using Paul cuts to the chase with the guys. But the reality is the guys have a much, I guess I'll go with simpler issue to overcome. Not because, well, we're guys, we just need a simpler issue. Like we're, we need a simple issue to deal with. Like we need that which is right in front of us. This concept with the women, we're going to have to spend some time with because I think, I want one, I want to show you this, this kind of different approach that I'm taking to this. But guys, it's right there in front of you. Just like in Ephesians 5, Paul says, love your wives. Well, I do love my wife. Well, how many country songs, how many, uh, how many songs are written about the fact that the guy didn't tell his wife he loved her enough? The guy didn't show his wife that he loved her? Well, because our default state is to provide, not to love. Our default state is like, if the woman says, well, why don't you show me you love me? Well, I, you know, I brought the paycheck home. Right. I love you. Yeah. I gave you a roof. You got warm. I fed, you know, I, bought, I got money in the bank for groceries. I love you. See, men, we, we need to show our love in different ways. Mm -hmm. So it's the same kind of thing here. Paul was just cutting to the quick with the men to say, look, get out of your hands wrath, because that's what men tend to do. Get out of your heart doubt, and then you can pray and lift up holy hands. Then you can take the step to the next step to spiritual maturity. In James chapter 4 and verse 8, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double minded. Like literally, James deals with it too. Because the problem with us guys is our hands are dirty. Our hands represent what's in our heart. And our hands are dirty. Okay? So this first discipleship question, if we can get there with one 
click, is what is the fruit of your hands? Again, it does apply to everyone. It's not just a male issue, but we're focusing it on, on the males. What is the fruit of your hands? Is it lifting up holy hands in prayer? Is it prayer that has confidence in the Lord? Or is it doubt? Is it hands full of blood, strife, contention, issues in our relationships, right? Guys, we need to have the right things in our hands. Now, ladies, we're going to shift to you for a little bit. Go back to our, our, our text, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Actually, verse 9, since we talked about the guys. In like manner also. So what Paul is saying is that there is a battle. There is a contrast. Okay? So men have this contrast between praying and doubting and lifting up hands and wrathful hands. In that same way... That in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. So the first thing we need to do is look at this ver- this part of the verse. Women adorn themselves in modest apparel. And this is the part where I think Christians get get a bad rap. And maybe it's because of some, you know, I'll pick on Sam since he's kind of that, he, he refers to himself as the hillbilly, the backwood, backwood hillbilly. I think there is some pe- there are people in in the past in Christian past who have taken a little bit of a message out of the world specifically that women are second class citizens and they have found what they want to find in scripture to support that but that is not what scripture says the women are to adorn themselves that is an empowering statement okay they are not to be adorned by the man right they are to be adorned. They are to adorn themselves. Look at look at what happens when the world is involved. It's a lot of words here, and I apologize. But Esther chapter one, you remember Vashti the queen, right? She doesn't want to do what her husband says. So on the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded uh, Mahuman, uh, Bizda, Harbona, Bigtha, Abagtha. I should have read these before. Zethar Carcass, which is a horrible name for. I mean, <laughs> he's a real. I mean, he's kind of. Horrible. All of them are kind of rough, aren't they? <laughs> the seven chamberlains that served in the presence of Ahasuerus the king to bring Vashti the queen before the king with the royal crown, whose crown? His crown, to show the people and the princes her beauty, for she was fair to look on. So she so and and you may remember the story. She doesn't want to go, right? She doesn't want to do. She doesn't want to adorn herself based on his or his chamberlain's expectations. Okay, she doesn't want to go and dance. And there's some implication that maybe it was very seductive. That maybe the only thing she was wearing was her crown. That that maybe it was even a a, a situation that was very inappropriate for him to be showing off her naked beauty before the rest of this this party crowd, right? There's some implications there. It's not clear. But his response, the worldly response to that situation is, he sent letters unto all the king's provinces and to every province, according to the writing thereof, to every people after their language, that every man, look at this, should bear rule in his own house. And then it should be published according to the language of every people. The man is in charge. And that is the greatest, one of the greatest empires on the nation, on the surface of the, of the earth and set for millennia, I would argue, a tone that women were second class citizens. Because what were they supposed to do? Listen to their man. This did not come out of scripture. Obviously, the story comes out of scripture. But he, uh, Hasiris is acting as a lost man. That's right. Lost men consider their wives second-class citizens. Biblical men see the value of a woman. And I don't mean the value they bring to him, the intrinsic value that she has. So look, look, at, look at some of this. Look at the, the biblical response to this. In Proverbs 31, talking about the virtuous woman, she maketh herself coverings. Okay, of tapestry. Her uh, her clothing is silk and purple. She is, I, I don't want to say self-sufficient in that she doesn't rely on God or that she doesn't respect her, her husband, 
but her sufficiency is not found in her husband. It's not found in his royal crown. It's found in her relationship with God. Where everybody's waiting. Is it good? In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 5, For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God, look at this, adorned themselves. I didn't come up with this. The women adorned themselves being in subjection to their own husbands. So I'm going to put on my own clothes the way I see fit. Now, I'm in subjection to my husband. I want a good relationship, but I'm in subjection to my wife. I submit to my wife, according to the uh, to New Testament. There's times where we have mutual submission. I'm not going to, you know, I know that you all looked at me and thought, hmm. Dobson looks fine today. But why were you laughing the loudest? But I'm I'm not gonna wow. Um, I am not gonna put myself, either through my dress or my actions, to send her a signal that anything other than she's the most important thing to me. Okay, I'm going to lift her up through my actions, and I would ask her to do the same. She would call her out when she's sleeping. Yeah, right. Just like I'm going to call her out when she's. That's probably why she laughed. She was she was caught off guard, and she laughed so hard. (laughs) Isaiah 60. Let's get back to scripture. Isaiah 61:10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Clear context is relationship with God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robes of righteousness. Ladies, if there's a guy that's going to dress you, let it be God. Right? He hath covered me with robe of righteousness. As a Look at this. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. Like, the context here is clearly that we are, we are to, and, and bear with me, we are to dress ourselves. And I don't, I literally, like, I don't know that I've ever said don't wear that. Have I ever said that to you? I mean, sometimes, sometimes it doesn't look all that good. I'm just trying to get my jab back at her. That's my chance right here because she, she ain't got the microphone. So, but everybody heard her laugh. Um, but, like, like, those shoes don't go with that. But that sweater or whatever, like that's ugly. No, I've never said that because I know it's good for me. If I say something like that, I gotta duck. I gotta be quick. Um, but but she adorns herself. The only one who adorns her, other than me or beyond me, beyond our relationship, should be God. Like I I don't have any role in what she how she looks. That is between her and God. Look in Job 40 and verse 10. Now this is God talking to Job. Deck thyself now with majesty and excellence and array thyself with glory and beauty. This has been a, a common theme for God that God will adorn with beauty, spiritual beauty. He will adorn with righteousness. He will adorn with a relationship with him, okay? But a woman is supposed to be empowered. And I don't think that I don't think I'm I'm being not biblical. I don't I don't you know, I might be backward to some to what some what I would argue backward Christians say that I mean, I know men some of you may know who I'm talking about when I say I know men who tell their women how to cut their hair. And I think it's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. It's not, it's not a man's job to adorn the woman. It's God's job to adorn the woman. Amen. So then let's talk about what is preferred versus what is not preferred. And we're going to do it in, in backwards order. We're going to do it in inverse order. <clears throat> what's preferred appears first in, in Scripture. But we're going to talk about what's not preferred. And I chose those words specifically because this is a contrast, not a prohibition. What were the first few words in verse 9? In like manner also, women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness, sobriety, with broidered hair, gold, pearls, and costly array. Okay? Or or with sobriety and not with uh, broidered hair, gold, pearls, or costly array, right? 
So he, just like the man, where the man, the man had to, to overcome doubt with prayer, he had to overcome wrathful hands with holy hands, women have to do the same thing. They have to overcome the tendency to want to put on to show their value, to show their beauty. They have to overcome that with godliness, okay? So women tend, and look, you just have to, I mean, you go to any, any news page, Yahoo, MSN, Fox News, I don't care what page you go to, and you will see how women are portrayed today in this modern woke society. It's all about the way they look. It's not about the substance. They, they'll say, the world will say, we should value a woman for her intellect, her character. And yet they show all the women in scantily clad clothes. And they call that empowered. No. Yeah. So they prefer to see a shameful face? Well, hold, hold that thought because shame, shamefacedness is, a, is an interesting concept, okay? So hold that thought for just a second. If I don't get to it, if I don't answer it, call it back out because I think what, what they prefer is actually, I'll touch on it, they want to look a way that causes other people shame. They want to lift themselves up, uh, yeah. themselves up, spread the right way to say it, themselves up so that others are shamed by the way they look. Okay? Whether it's through, uh, it, you know, not being modest, embarrassed, or I've got the stuff and you don't. I've got the goods and you don't. Ego. Ego. Exactly. So, so what is actually... Um, preferred, right? So, so bear with me for a second. So the contrast is real. The contrast is real. Oh, I keep doing this. I keep pointing to this. First, uh, first Peter chapter two or chapter three, verse two. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of hair, which is the broidery. Okay, the embroidering, the weaving of hair, all right, or wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God a great price. Let me be clear. I don't mind, I don't care about whether you've embro you know, embroidered or braided your hair. I don't care about the apparel that you wear. I don't care about the, the jewelry you wear. That is not the value that you as an individual ladies bring to our relationship. Like yours and mine or yours and this body or yours and others. If you want, if you want to go get your hair <laughs> braided in any way, shape or form, more power to you. Just don't find your value in it. It, it, it literally makes you no better. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't communicate that you are more valuable. In some cases, you're giving your value over to that thing that has to be done every so often, right? So, so here's the deal. Let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible. Even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, a great price. If you walk into a room and everyone has to turn their head because of the way you look, if that's what drives you, you're missing the point. There is one that needs to catch your attention, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is one that you need to dress to approve. There is one that you need to connect with. And these things don't get you there. These, these costly array and that, that sort of thing doesn't get you there, right? What you, look, look at the contrast. And I put the contrast as real. And the soldiers plated a crown of thorns. They broidered or braided a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put, him, uh, put on him a purple robe. Like literally the one that was being sacrificed, he was being beaten in preparation for the sacrifice, the world puts stuff on him 
And that's the tone that the world sets. And I just think it's really interesting that Paul, Peter, and other places in Scripture, they specifically call these things out because I think there's a contrast there. Those are not the things that you need to be wearing or presenting. You need to be putting on Christ. All right, so this next sentence is going to cause, I think is going to cause a laugh. And please let me explain it. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay, we're going the wrong way. Oh, come on. And the suspense is killing everyone. You can't cover up rotten. You can't cover up rotten. Right? If you are rotten, i.e. not saved, if you don't have a right relationship with the Lord, I don't, it's lipstick on the pig. Like, literally. It's, it's, broidered hair, it's plated uh, costly array it's all this stuff and on the inside, you're rotten and that's that's literally I read an article, oh my gosh this has been years ago, about a, a pastor who had struggled with pornography and the way he overcame it was he started looking at women not on their outward appearance but on whether or not they were a child of God. And if they were a child of God, that child of God deserved respect. If they were not a child of God, he needed to focus on getting them to be a child of God. And that's how he overcame the, the worldly temptation of looking on a woman with lust as compared to looking to her true value or need in the case of the lost. Isaiah 3, verses 18 through 24. In that day, the Lord will take away the bravery of their tinkling ornaments about their feet and their calls and their round tires like the moon, the chains and the bracelets and mufflers. I, evidently, these ladies have quite the car. Uh, the bonnets, <laughs> the ornaments of the legs and the headbands and the tablets and the earrings, the rings and the nose jewels, the changeable suits of apparel and the mantles and the wimples and the crop crisping pins, the glasses, the fine linen, the hoods, the veils. Now, now the reality is he's talking about the nation of Israel here. So he's talking about kind of the pomp and circumstance. So this is not just about women. This is about a system of finding value in stuff. Okay. And it shall come to pass that instead of sweet smell, there shall be a state. And instead of a girdle, a rent. And instead of a well, Set hair, bald. Wait a minute, baldness. Okay. Instead and of well set hair. No, baldness. Yeah. Right. Instead yeah. of well set hair, baldness. Yeah. But it, the implication is baldness is a bad thing. That's where I just realized. <laughs> <laughs> but don't you all say go though up bald head. I, I know bears. Um, and instead of a stomacher, a girding of sackcloth, and a burning of and a burning instead of beauty. Obviously, you can see that. I mean, baldness actually, and I'm and to be very serious. Sometimes baldness is representative of a disease, right? Where people can't, I mean, I actually can grow hair. It's just like right here, right? So, so the, reality, the reality is this rottenness that's on the inside of them cannot be covered up with all of these things. The bonnets, the bracelets, I don't even know what a muffler is, the leg ornaments and the headbands and all this stuff they put on because Why? Look at this stuff. Don't look at my heart. Mm -hmm. And so the world has sold a bill of goods that the my uh, my notes went off here. The world has sold a, the, a bill of goods that the things that you can obtain and put on bring you value. Mm -hmm. You control that. You can you control how many how much clothes you wear. You control the hair the way you want it. You control. Well, that's true. But it's a choice to put on the things that we should represent Christ. Being adorned by God is a gift. Being, uh, well, oh, I'm sorry. Matthew 23, 27. Uh, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Like, the outside's pretty, but the inside's a mess. You can't cover up rotten. We're going to have to figure this out, Brandon. 
Being adorned by God is a gift. Being adorned by God is a gift. Psalm 149, verse 4. For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek. Look at this. With salvation. You want to identify your beauty? It's with salvation. He takes pleasure in his people and he will beautify the meek with salvation. Not with tablets tablets and, and mufflers and, and headbands and ringing things and like all that stuff doesn't please him. It actually gets in the way. Ezekiel 16, again, a lot of words and I apologize, but look at this. I will wash thee with water, yea. I, I thoroughly washed away thy blood from thee and I anointed thee with oil. I clothed thee also with broidered work, and with the uh, shod thee with badger skins, and girded thee about with fine linen, and I covered thee with silk. And, and again, clearly the tone here is God did this. I decked thee also with ornaments, and I put bracelets upon thy head, and a chain upon thy neck. And I will put a jewel in thy forehead, and earrings in thine ears, and a beautiful crown upon thy head. Thou, I'm sorry, thus wast thou decked with gold and silver, and thy raiment of fine linen, and silk, Embroidered work, did, uh, thou did eat fine flour and honey and oil, and thou wast exceeding beautiful, and thou didst, uh, didst prosper in an, into a kingdom. And thy renown went out uh, forth among the heathen for, heathen for thy beauty, and it was perfect through my comeliness, which I had put on thee, saith the Lord. So when God provides it, it really is gorgeous. But look at verse 15, and it's really sad. But thou did trust, look at this, in thine own beauty and played the harlot because of the renown that, that they got. Because of the beauty God provided, they played the harlot and pourest out thy fornications on everyone that passed, uh, passed by. His it was. And of thy garments thou didst take and decked thy, deckest thy high places with diverse colors and played the harlot thereupon. The light things shall not come, neither so shall it be. Or, yeah, uh, shall it be so. Literally, the beauty that God gave, in this case, again, a picture, it's a nation of Israel. The beauty that he, played, that he put upon an individual, a lady, don't take that and misuse it. The beauty comes from the relationship with God. Being adorned by God is a gift. He will, I mean, this, this last, this phrase right here, and thou did prosper into a kingdom. Like that's what... That's what every little girl, it seems like, I don't know, every Disney is telling us that we're supposed to, every little girl is supposed to think of themselves as a princess. Why? Because you're the child of a king, mm-hmm. right? The daughter of the king. <laughs> and my bet is that when little girls think of themselves as a princess, they don't think of just the jewels and all the stuff. They think about this, this honest, holy, relationship they want a good prince they want a they want safety they want security in a in a good relationship it's not just hey i'm a princess therefore i'm going to get a throne there's more to it so this brings us to our second discipleship point um discipleship decision be empowered dress yourself you don't have to rely on on quote no man but when you prepare your outward appearance, who are you trying to impress? Are you doing what the nation of Israel did where you took this beauty and now you're spinning it to your own to, to, to give yourself some pleasure or give your, to control someone or something? Like what, who are you trying to impress? Like when I leave, no, I'm not going to use me. When she leaves the, 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 the bathroom, the, our bedroom bathroom, when she leaves and she's dressed like she is, she's not generally trying to impress me. She wants to know I, I kind of approve. She wants to make sure we're good. But she's trying to reflect Christ. I, I believe that. And that's what you should do when you, when you consider your dress, when you consider the investment of, of nails or consider the investment of hair or whatever. Like, I'm not here to preach against any of that. That's not, I, I really don't believe that's the point of the lesson. The point of the lesson is, in like manner also, because there's a contrast, when a, women adorn themselves simply, not with these other things but which 
becometh women professing godliness with good works. So we've been so men and women, we've been given two different challenges today, and we'll try to look at this side by side. That was weird. It did something. So guys, on the left, remember our focus was on our hands. We need to hold on to that which is good, the traditions you've been taught, hold on to eternal life, hold on to sound words, hold on to the profession, our profession of faith, hold on to hope. Again, hold on to our profession of faith in Hebrews 10. Ladies, you're supposed to put on the armor of light, put on Christ, put on the new man, put on the whole armor of God. Put on the bowels of mercies, kindness, long, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, and put on charity above all these things. Like, the, and, 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 and again, guys, the right column applies to us. Ladies, the left column applies to you. We've been challenged by Paul through the book of 1 Timothy to make a decision, whether it's in the morning and how we dress, whether it's how we interact with people, how we pray to God. We've been challenged before God or by God before each other and before those in this body, those that we would I- interact with in our homes and our, our communities, our jobs, our, the people that, are, that live with us or around us. We have a challenge to represent Christ. And if someone is looking at you and they look at you and they think, your stuff is nice. Are they not seeing Christ? That's right. That's right. Are they? Are they? Is, is something gotten in the way? And and guys, if 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 you have wrathful hands instead of hands that are edifying, if you have a hard demeanor, an austere uh, tone about you, instead of one that is lifting up Christ, one that is lifting up others in prayer. These are real decisions, and these are real hard things. I mean, you say, well, Mitch, they're not that hard. Well, they're hard to do. I mess up. I put, I put things that are in front of me before Christ sometimes. There are times that I let my emotions get in the way, and I don't, I, or I doubt instead of praying. I mean, these are tangible. Like, I hope I'm not the only one here that deals with this. These are tangible things. It brings us to our last discipleship decision for the day. That was weird. I hit it one time. Whether in your hands or your appearance, what is the outward manifestation of your heart? What is the outward manifestation of your heart? And if when you consider when you consider what's going on in your heart, if you look at it and say, I find value in these things that I put on, or I don't mind being wrathful or honestly praying's never really got me anywhere because of, you know, no mountains move for me, i.e. doubt, then I'm going to challenge you that maybe there's rottenness inside. And I hate to put it that way because I love you. You're a creation of the Lord, but you're not a born again creation of the Lord. And we got to get that rottenness out. And there's a way. Remember in the, in the one passage, he's like, I cleaned you. I wiped the blood off of you. I made sure you were righteous. And I put all this stuff on you that really mattered for eternity. I'm, I'm, so the Lord just gave this to me. If you turn over to Revelation chapter 3, and, and I, it's not even on the, on, the, on the slide because I didn't, I feel like he just gave it to me. In Revelation chapter 3, he talks to the Laodicean church in verse 14. The Laodicean church really represents how we are today. In verse 15, he says, I know thy works, thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because, look at this, thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me, God, gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, 
and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. If you have rottenness inside, if you've not been born again, then that's the number one thing that we've got to deal with. Like you, I don't, there's no amount of paint that can fix up that fixer upper. Like I, it doesn't, I, I got to get down to the, to the, to the bones and we got to deal with the sin problem. And if you have never asked Christ to forgive your sins, if you've never applied his sacrifice to your sins, then I would ask that you chat with me afterwards. Come up afterwards and just grab me. I will, if, if you're a lady, I'll make sure a lady uh, gets with you and explains this. If you're a guy, I'll make sure, you know, either I do it or I'll grab another guy depending on the, the situation. But we've got to deal with your sin condition first. Because there's rottenness underneath the surface and we've got to deal with it. Christian, I'm just going to encourage you, give up doubt for prayer. Give up wrath for holy, lifting up holy hands. Give up the world, the things that you, the value that you find and what you put on or how you portray yourself because the reality is the beautiful relationship is with the Lord and that's enough. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the time. We thank you for uh, just allowing the kind of the logistics to work out uh, with the with the slides and that like. And, and Lord, I certainly don't want those things to be a, a distraction. So uh, Lord, I just I just pray that your Holy Spirit just really burdens each and every one of us for the decision that we need to make. I'm, I am quite certain that every one of us in this room has dealt with these kinds of things at some point. And whether we've, whether we've, whether we've overcome the doubt or overcome the wrath or overcome the desire to look like the world or be like the world, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you just come down and deal with it. If there's a, a person here who has not received Christ, they not understand uh, or understood the, the death, the burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and how that can pay for their personal sins and their sin nature. Lord, I pray that you would not allow them to, to leave this room without feeling the, the conviction to act on that. Um, Lord, we know that you've called us to something better. You've called us to a cleansed life so that we can literally turn into a kingdom. We're looking forward to that day when when we will have the, uh, the, the, the righteousness on, where we will stand before you and, and the, the wood, the hay, and the stubble will burn away. And, and Lord, what is left is, is true riches. Lord, help us to be mindful of that. Help us to take the next step in our spiritual journey. Help us to, to follow this guide uh, to spiritual maturity in and, and First Timothy and apply these somewhat hard situations. I'm, I'm sure even to this week we'll, 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 be dealt, we'll, we'll each have to deal with something along these lines. Help us to, to help hit those things head on to, uh, to be good ministers of your word and to grow closer to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Have a great day.